dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We've been looking at St. Paul's life and the lessons that his life gives us about leadership for some time. But now we need to speak about what's at the heart of his leadership. The heart of his leadership is Jesus and his relationship with him. Hello, everybody. I'm just so glad to be back with you again with a chance to speak to you from the heart about a message that really needs to be at our heart as well. And that's really at the message of what's at the heart of a Catholic leader, what's at the heart of any Christian leader, and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. And St. Paul shows us this in just an incredible way, and I can't wait to get into it with you. So let's, let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Paul, pray for us. St. John, Pray for us in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, you know, in the heart of each one of us, we, we, we are here to lead. And the question is why? I mean, when you look at the crisis of leaders, leaders today and leadership today in general and the, the lack thereof in the political sphere and the business sphere and the family sphere, you know, you, you have to say, well, why isn't that anybody wants to lead? And you can say, oh, because of the problems. Oh, it's so hard to lead, you know. And, and or it's because, you know, um, we just feel like we're content and why would we need to change anything? And you look around, you're like, well, we want to change things because we want to make them better. Yes, but the moment you start doing that is the moment you start to hit opposition. You'll start to hit, you have to sacrifice something. Do you know how hard it's going to be? You know, and there's a million reasons that come from everybody sitting around on the sidelines well, the leader looks around and says, you follow me because we're going to a better place. I've got something inside of me that cannot be, sit still in the presence of this mediocrity or this lack of opportunity. The reason why you guys are so wonderful is because you have stepped into the breach where everyone else has run away. And when the building was going down, you ran into it to do the good that you could do. I think that at the heart of leadership, is the question of motivation. It's a question of who wants to assume it. I remember one time I was hiking in northern Scotland in the Highlands, and I had this group of young adults with me from Eagle Eye Ministries, which is the young adult ministry that I founded. And we do excursions. We go all over the world uh, doing hiking trips and kayaking trips and all these things. And I was in Scotland, and we had just finished seven days in the Scottish Highlands. 
And it was like on day five, we had one more day to go. And, and I said, let's climb a mountain. And we haven't done that yet. And, and the Highlands actually have, you know, some pretty high mountains, 3,000, 4,000 feet tall peaks. And, and so we decided to climb one. And well, you climb up 4,000 vertical feet in one day and you're going to, it's quite a feat, literally. Right? So it's about a thousand feet uh, an hour is what you gain. And we're just slogging through this wet turf up the side of this mountain, literally just going straight up the side of it. And we stop every hour to take a break. And at our first hour, everyone just collapses on this little piece of rock that's sticking out of the sodden soil. And everyone's catching their breath and just exhausted. I mean, it was a really tough climb to get that first thousand feet. And I'm laying there just, you know, feeling pretty lousy about my life and what's going on and wishing that I could, I should have stayed home at camp and we could have had a retreat day or something gentle. And instead I decided to climb a mountain, you know, and, and I look over my shoulder to our guide and the guide is this, she's, you know, 15 years younger than I am. And uh, she's, you know, five foot two and she's sitting there with the map in hand, scouting the path forward of how we're going to get to the top of the mountain. And it dawned on me that like I'm sitting here thinking about how I can get down the mountain and she's sitting there thinking about how she's going to get up the mountain. I who wanted to go down the mountain was dragging my feet and exhausted and tired. She who wanted to get up the mountain was actually energized and peaceful and calm. It was all a matter of perspective. And I realized that at the heart of every leader is the question of heart. She wanted to get up that mountain. She had fire in her belly. She was being pushed upwards by this invisible force called her will and her desire to be at the top of the mountain. And I was not having anything in my belly. I was tired and aching and cold. And that's why all I cared about was going down. And as soon as I shifted that perspective and said, I want to climb this mountain, I want to get to the top of this mountain, the rest of the climb became easy and enjoyable. Leadership begins by heart. And when we look around and see a world that doesn't want to assume leadership, it's not because of the obstacles and it's not because we have it going great right now. It's that somehow or other our apathy has become stronger than our love. And in a nation or a culture or a family or a business team where apathy is stronger than love, not only will your profits go down, your family become disunited, your culture become rotten, but things will become worse in every way, shape, or form. Always remember Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no leadership forward, the people perish. The, the rights of the poor will be downtrodden. Our families will be disrupted. Our young people won't have any idea. And it's not the fault of the problems. It's the fault of a lack of leadership in our world. And if I want to give leadership to this world, where I need to go after is the heart, not the mind, not the hands, not a plan, the heart. Don't you care enough about what's going on to stand up and do something about it? If you don't, well, then you can be just like everyone else who watch history go by past them. Stop complaining and just say, I'm actually a part of the problem. But if you want to be a part of the solution, then you need to gain heart. And I look at the Bible and I understand that, I mean, heart, C-O-R in Latin, is that sets out the heart of our word courage. Cor in Latin became cur in French, which became courage, which means courage. 
the, 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 the passion inside of us that plunges us in the battle, that makes us dare great things, that fights for a difference, it comes from the Latin word meaning heart. And if I have a man by the heart, that I have a, a force generative of a life. I just spoke the other day with a woman, beautiful story. She told me, you know what? I was a very successful CPA. I made a lot of money out in the, in the world. And then I had a terrible financial accident, financial mistake and blunder, and it cost me everything. And I was sitting there watching my life unravel. And I went home and I had a mystical encounter with Jesus Christ. Whereas I was at the worst moment of my life, Jesus came and showed me that he loved me for me. Not for what I did, not for what I'd ever have, but for me. And she said, from that moment on, my life has belonged to him and I've had peace. Even in the midst of everything that she lost, she had peace. Why? Because she had God in her heart. Well, what's in your heart today? What's at the center of who you are? What's driving you forward? Is it God? Is it Jesus? If it's anything other than God or Jesus, it might be a fine thing. It might be close, but it will be weak compared to what it could be. The greatest leaders are those who have God at their heart and so that they can take this world into the heart of God. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. When we look at the life of St. Paul the Apostle in, in Acts, uh, it, it's, it's a life that just takes your breath away. I mean, what this guy did and what he was capable of, I mean, St. Paul was literally just a force of nature. I mean, he was more than a force of nature. He was a force of God, right? <laughs> but God used a force of nature. Uh, look at his life in brief, right? There's the stoning of Stephen where he, just, all it says is that he was a young man. So at the young man, he watches Stephen die and he approves of his death. So that's a young man with a pretty mature sentiment to approve of another man's death. And, they, and, and he was in a high enough position that the men who were doing the stoning, who were the religious authorities of his day, piled their cloaks at his feet. So that's all of their personal affairs at his feet, trusting him. So he was well-known and well-trusted and well-thought of, even though he was young. And later on, we learned that he was a student of Gamaliel, who was the most respected rabbi of his day in Jerusalem, the heart of Judaism. So in the capital city of the Jewish people, their leading scholar is the mentor for a young man named Paul who has the respect of all of the leaders and elders. So much so that immediately after, after the death of Stephen in Acts 7, Paul ravaged the church of God, hauling men and women into prison, breaking up households, therefore. therefore. And he had authority from the high priest to, to command troops, so to speak, and to meet with helpers to go all the way to Damascus. Damascus is like three days away and do the same thing there. He ravaged the church of God. I mean, so he was organized, he was ruthless, he was thoughtful, he was commandeering of troops, even though he was young. And it's there that he meets the Lord Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. And it's there that his church, the church that he persecutes, forgives him as Ananias lays hands upon him and baptizes him and feeds him like a baby. As mother church gives birth to Paul, 
And Paul immediately starts to convert everybody. We know what happens, right? And then the, the Jews at that time in that city get, get jealous of him and determined to kill him. And they post him at the city gates to stab him. Paul's lowered over the side of the walls of Syria of Damascus and makes his way from Damascus back to Jerusalem where he's not accepted because everyone's afraid of him until Barnabas, his joyful companion who'll become his mentor, takes Paul in and gives him to the apostles and the same apostles who saw their friends imprisoned by this man who saw Stephen die at the hands of this man just months earlier, just months earlier finally accept him as a brother in Christ Jesus, the largesse of the magnanimity of the leadership of the church, amazing. And Paul goes around trying to convert the same Greeks who killed Stephen. He goes right after the lions. And they have his life now in, in their crosshairs. So the church moves him away back to Tarsus. And it's there that he's picked up again, brought in to speak with the Christians at Antioch and the Gentile converts there and works with them in depth until finally they send him off on a missionary journey. Paul makes three missionary journeys. He climbs mountains, literally. He's in the highlands, uh, a part of Asia and all along the Grecian coasts. He's on boats. He gets shipwrecked. He gets mobbed. He gets caned. He's brought in front of courts. He has sorcerers he's dealing with. Think about Acts 19 where they burn uh, 50,000 silver pieces worth of, of magic and spell books in front of Paul. I mean, incredible. Uh, St. Saint, Paul's proud. He's working many extraordinary miracles at his hand. It gets to the point where people are even touching his body with cloths and then touching the cloths that touched his body to other people and those people are being healed. It's like St. Peter's shadow. It's like St. Paul's cloth. That's in Acts 19. I mean, the, the life and the skill of this guy is incredible. He speaks in Athens to the scholars of his day uh, and, and, and a beautiful convincing speech. He's writing letters that are still read to this day. Read the theology in Romans. I mean, Romans chapter 5, he's debating. It says he's in the hall of Tyrannus. This is Acts 19. Where, and he's in the hall of Tyrannus from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. every single day for two years. And all of Asia comes to hear the word of God. Demons are expelled. The sick are healed. Uh, Paul is a magnet for people. And all at the same time in this opposition, he knew how to deal with conflict. He knew how to to take care of himself. When he was in Corinth, he had to work to make his living just to make the ends meet. Paul says he's comfortable in hardship. He's comfortable with richness. He's, 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 and all things has this ability to turn, no matter what negativity comes his way, into a positive experience for the Lord. And that ability to turn the negative into the positive, to look at hardship and see opportunity, to take failure and turn it into success, where does that come from? Right? Because if, if you could take St. Paul and you put him into the business world, can you imagine St. Paul running his own business? It'd been incredible. It'd been like, tents are us. People would be like, why is that great name? He would put the R backwards, you know. Tents are us by, by Paul of Tarsus, the tent maker, you know. He would have franchised that puppy. I mean, Paul, can you imagine him today? It's just as a business person, what that must have been like. You could take anything away from him. He would have fought back, right? St. Paul would have been just creative and innovative and out there with the people. He would have been the, an amazing salesperson. And there he is, a Catholic priest fighting for the gospel. What's at the heart of all of our activity? It's not our skill set and it's not our knowledge. 
What's at the heart of Paul's activity? He says it even. And when I came among you, I did not come with persuasive words of wisdom. I came determined one thing, to know one thing and one thing only, and that is Christ and him crucified. Christ and the knowledge of Jesus and that Paul had in his heart was burning like a fire in his chest and it pushed forth him into all the circumstances and into all the activities and labors that he did. Nothing else is capable of unifying a life as profoundly as religion and of being the motivating factor in all things, in good times and in bad and in sickness and in health. To love and honor somebody, it requires a love of God. And Paul had that love of God in his heart from the very first time that the man whose eyes are like flames of fire spoke to him on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Acts 9. It must have been something so profound in Paul's heart that happened when Jesus said his name to him. Because Paul's whole life changed with that simple thing, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. To know Jesus, as Jesus reveals himself to you, makes a base in your life, in your soul, that allows you to build and rebuild and fight and strive. Because you're not fighting or striving for something that you want to have or a change you want to see. You're fighting and you're striving because of the one who has you. And you're fighting and striving because of the change that has been made inside of you. This is what is, is the difference between a, a normal leader and a Christian leader. It's a question of heart and what's at the center of it. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. St. Paul knew Jesus. And when you hear that word, a lot of times for us, we hear, you know, new and we think, okay, that means something heady. It's not very powerful. When St. Paul's saying that he knows Jesus, it's kind of like our lady saying that she knows not man. It, it's an experience. It's a knowledge that goes far beyond a concept. To, it, it, to know Christ Jesus for St. Paul, it means to know him from the inside, from the heart, to let him so sees every aspect of our lives that he motivates everything that we do. He's behind all of our actions and our strivings. And as we close our, our meditation on St. Paul the leader, I think it's very appropriate that we do so by meditating upon Paul's love for Christ and asking ourselves, how is it that I can deepen my love for Christ? So many of us will differentiate that. We'll say, you know what? Because I'm in business, uh, I, I don't have a love. It, my religion is at home. It's something I do with my family and my kids. It's not something I bring into the workplace. And I'm just like, that's too bad for your workplace. It's like acting like your workplace doesn't need to be saved. 
<laughs> What's funny is that most of us are like, no, the workplace definitely needs to be saved, <laughs> right? You're like, well, then your workplace definitely needs to know Christ. Well, that's for sure. Well, who's going to bring Christ into your workplace if it's not the leader of the workplace? I mean, if you're leading your management team and you're not leading it as a Christian, then what are you doing? How are you glorifying Christ if you put him away in a drawer when you end up going to work every day? Now, a lot of you, I can hear you saying it. You're like, well, we're not allowed. I mean, you have to be respectful and it's a PC environment and it's non-religious environment. And I get it. I mean, there's, and it's even a, not a bad thing to have a secular spot where we work together independently. But for a Christian, work itself is a prayer. And for a Christian, collaboration itself is a prayer, which means the, the, the mindset and the attitude that a Christian takes into work is different from the mindset and the attitude that anyone else takes into that work. And that mindset and the attitude means that we attack that work as the place by where we glorify God. It's the place where we're bringing our love. It's almost like that work day is in between me and Jesus. And through it, I'm going to embrace every aspect of it in order to glorify Jesus. He's the focus in the center and the summit and the high point, And he's the goal behind everything that I'm doing. And when you have that attitude, it's amazing what happens. You know, it's like, think about what, you know, think about taking care of your employees and how you need to do that and, and how difficult that can be to invest in them, to forgive them, to be patient with them, to help build them up, to try to seek to make your younger employees even more employable after they work for you, to, to pass on the legacy of good work. What well, takes a lot of, it takes a lot of work and attention and patience. It takes a leader. See, it takes someone who cares about the business more than profit, who cares about what you're doing. Well, that shines, and that's a call by Christ for his Christian leaders to do. And that comes from when your heart is in him. If my heart is in him, then my people come first. If my heart is in him, then the culture of the workplace comes first. If my heart is in Jesus, then the product that I'm making and the quality thereof and the fair price thereof come first. My consumer comes first. It's amazing how that elevates the whole field of business and makes it a human thing. If our businesses are not human, it's because Christians are not at the helm strongly enough. And I'm not saying that you have to be Christian in order to be human, you know, etc. But I am saying that every Christian ought to be human. I don't know if every human is going to be Christian, but I know that every Christian is going to be human. And that means that since I am human in every aspect of my affair, that I need to take care of my family. I'm just going to shift from workplace over to your families. I mean, what are we doing for, for, for the virtues being grown in the hearts of our children? You cannot teach virtues at school. Virtues are taught at home. You can teach about virtues at school, and school can help reinforce the virtues of the home. But the real life of that child is found in their baseline, which is their home. And that means that you as parents have to be investing in the, the manner of behavior and the way that your children interact with each other and with themselves and with the common property called the house. Things like cleanliness, things like washing your hands before the meal. These are all things that are, are part and parcel of our leadership when our heart is in it. And Christ is claiming that heart of yours like he claimed Paul. He's saying, do you know me? And do I know you? If I look at the spirituality of St. Paul, I, I see a man 
whose sins became the occasion for him to learn the mercy of Christ. And once he learned the mercy of Christ and experienced the mercy of Christ, he then spent his life in thanksgiving. He said, I've poured myself out like a libation, like a sacrificial offering. That's in 2 Timothy 4. Or when he says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he was taken up into the third heaven and heard words that no one is allowed to repeat. Or when in Acts 18, the Lord speaks to him in the middle of the night, saying to him, speak on and do not be silent for I am with you. Or the hours that he'd spend in the temple praying. Or the, the, the times that St. That, that Paul was in prison alone. And the, the, remember in Acts uh, 17 there in Philippi when the prison doors are opened and his chains are released and then he stays to baptize or in Acts 19 when he resolves in the spirit to go back into Macedonia and then Greece and he says I will then go to Rome and later on he says that our Lord Jesus told him as you bore witness to me in front of the king of Israel so you must bear witness to me in front of Caesar even if it means to his death Paul goes his heart has been claimed by a love that's deeper than him. In Philippians 3, he says, is it better for me to live or to die? If, if I live, I get to work for Jesus. And if I die, I get to be with him. Oh, I don't know which is better, which is to be preferred. The, the love that Christ has for us is a love that goes to our heart, my friends. It's a love that seizes the deepest motivations of everything it's a love that's stronger even than death. St. Paul will be warned three times by the Holy Spirit to not follow his journey. And three times by the Holy Spirit, Paul will go anyway. Knowing, and so the warning is not really a warning, it's more warning for everybody else to see because he says, Jesus wants me to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And, and as he goes all by himself in Corinth where he's lost Titus and he's lost Timothy and he's all by himself fending for himself, pushing forward this idea. He's just like you and me. We're pushing forward with our ideas, pushing forward. Are we pushing forward because of Jesus? If we are, well, then we'll find a way to transform even failure into opportunity and every challenge into a, a chance to grow. If we, if we allow him to be at our heart, then we'll innovate even when everyone else is telling us it's futile. And we'll find a way even when everyone tells us that it's impossible because we're not doing it for the applause of men or for the success of this world. We're doing it for the one who died for us. And as he died for me, then let me live for him. And if I live for him, then watch out world because I'm going to bring to you the love that Jesus Christ has brought to me. He has the heart of this leader and this leader has been sent by him into this world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.